Your devotion to the Lord is seen in your desire for His Word. And for us as a church of 2020, if it's going to be a year of growth, there needs to be a renewal of faithful devotion to His Word. There is no way to escape this truth. Growing Christians are learning Christians. There's no way to escape it. Hello, and welcome to the City Baptist Church Podcast, where our desire is to help others find meaning and mission in following Jesus. Today's message is from our special Vision Sunday celebration. As we kick off a brand new year together, Pastor Paul brought a challenge from the book of Acts. A new season brings new blessings, and we are reminded to faithfully continue in the Word, community, communion, and prayer. God wants to do great things over this new year, and we must stay committed to His call. One thing I love about New Year's is, is that a new calendar is in front of me. I just, I, there's something about it, looking forward to the year. It's like a fresh start. It's like a total change. And, and what I find myself often wondering is, what does God have for me and my family this year? You ever wonder that? What do you have for me, God? Because if you're like me, 2019 was nothing like I expected it to be. I got I to gotta be honest, last year, Vision Sunday, I had this plan, not only for the church, I had a plan for me personally, a plan for our family, and it was nothing at all like I expected it to be. But you know what? I'm okay with that. And I hope that you're okay with that too, because what that shows us is that God is the one who's still in control. And that should be an encouragement to you. The fact that you're here today, even though the year turned out nothing like you thought it would be, it shows us that God is in control. He has a perfect plan for our lives. And, uh, and, and he's the one that we need. He's the only thing that we need to face the year ahead, regardless of what happens. So with that being said, let's just close in prayer. I'm, I'm kidding. Okay, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. But uh, I just find it so interesting. You know, a new year, it's always fun. Of course, people talk about New Year's resolutions. And uh, this year I saw a bunch of hipster articles like why I don't make New Year resolutions and, uh, and uh, we're going to battle against that. But I had the chance to go to the hockey game on Thursday night. Uh, somebody gave me tickets to go watch the Canucks and Blackhawks, which was a great game, by the way. Fantastic, great seats, and it was totally free. And those are the best kind. And, but I was at the game, and in the middle of the game, you know, they're trying to hype the crowd because it's a Vancouver crowd, so it's like extremely quiet. And so on the big screen, they, they start flashing all this stuff, and they're like, make some noise if you've made New Year's resolutions, you know. And everyone's like, oh. Oh, and uh, I mean, sold out crowd. Everybody's like, oh. And then the next thing they say, make some noise if you've already broken them. And the place went crazy. This is on January, what, 3rd, I think. You know, three days into it, and the place just went nuts. And I was like, okay, people are not keeping their resolutions. Um, but regardless of how many you've made and how many you've broken already or thoughts about it, the one thing about a new year that is good for all of us is that it is an opportunity for us to look to the year ahead with sort of fresh eyes. And I believe it's a good time for us to set goals for the new year. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, it's a good thing to have goals, personal goals. It's good to have fitness goals, of course. It's good to have... Um, uh, maybe some financial goals for you, but it's good to have some goals and some focus. And I'd encourage you, if you have no goals for yourself personally, I'd encourage you to maybe think about some, some things that you can strive towards. Because honestly, many of us walk through life vast portions of our life with no focus at all or very little focus, don't we? I, I'm guilty of that. We struggle and it's like, wow, six months has passed and I haven't really grown a lot personally or I haven't maybe moved forward in that uh, personal goal that I had. And, and we struggle with that. And, and, uh, and so at a new year, it's a good time to hit the reset button, to set some new goals. And for us as a church, I think it's important for us to have some goals too, isn't it? It's good for us to, uh, to 
be wise stewards of the blessings that God has given to us as a church family, uh, not only with us as a church, but the finances God has given us, the building that he allows us to meet in, and be wise stewards and have goals for how we can continue to move the Great Commission forward. And so for us as a church today, uh, I want to share with you some goals. They're not uh, financial goals, so don't worry. I'm not going to be like, we need to have, you know, an extra 100000 Wow, that would be a lot. Uh, we need to have an extra amount of money, or they're not numerical goals, like, hey, I want to see us uh, have this much in church attendance. But today I want to share with you some goals that are very clear, that are measurable, so they're things that we can actually measure, and they lead us as a church to a healthy, a spiritually healthy, and a vibrant church culture that has a heart for our community and a heart for the world, because that's really what it's all about as a church. We're to have a heart for, uh, uh, for other people. We're to have a heart to fulfill the Great Commission. Now, the goals I want to share with you today are not, uh, um, they're not achievable through us having some sort of like 2020 church goal campaign, <laughs> you know. They're not achievable by a, uh, by a commitment card, so no commitment cards today. They're only achievable um, as we individually make them a part of our new year focus. And then collectively, we'll be able to see them happen as a church. So where are we going to find these goals? Well, what I want to do today is I want to go back to the very beginning of the church, the early church in Acts chapter number two. And so if you haven't turned there, go ahead and turn there with me. But what we do is we find some core practices of the early church in Acts two that were implemented into the church literally days. I'm not talking weeks or months, literally days after the empowerment and the explosive growth of the church in Acts chapter 2. Now, you guys know this, but the book of Acts is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible. I love it because what it does is it shows us what can happen when God is behind something. It shows us what can happen uh, when, when the Holy Spirit begins its work through a group of people, when people are committed to the Lord. And it really summarizes for us in the entire book. It summarizes what happened and how Christianity just took off following the death, the burial, the resurrection, and then the return of Jesus to heaven after spending those 40 days among his followers. Now in Acts chapter number one, we remember that that is where Jesus gave us some words of commission. You remember that in Acts chapter one and verse number eight where Jesus said, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The power comes from the Holy Ghost and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And so Jesus gave this to us. He promised them that they would receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and how the Holy Spirit would empower them to fulfill God's calling to them as individuals and as a, as a church. And so Jesus gave that to them. And so then the church began to pray and wait for this to happen. Well, in Acts chapter 2 is where we see it begin to happen. So in Acts chapter number 2, I'll begin reading in verse number 1 here in a second. We see the promise of the Spirit coming fulfilled on the day of Pentecost. Now, the Pentecost was actually a Jewish holiday. It took place 50 days after the Feast of First Fruits. It was a time of uh, when the people of Israel would give God their best. It was a time where they would remember, it actually uh, uh, memorialized the giving of the law on Mount Sinai as well. So it had sort of a double importance to the children of Israel. And so it was on this day of remembrance that God chose to send his Holy Spirit, and it was revealed to them in an amazing way in verse number one of Acts chapter two. It says, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So the group of believers, we believe it, about 120 of them were all together in a room. Look at verse two. This is, this is wild. And suddenly it says, so no one was expecting it. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind. 
And it filled all the house where they were sitting. So they're there and then they hear the sound of a rushing wind. That would be disconcerting, I think. And then, well, (laughs) this is about to top that though. (laughs) Verse three. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Now something amazing is taking place here. It is the indwelling, the Holy Spirit coming down for the first time as promised by God by Jesus himself has promised coming to those believers. Now, throughout the Old Testament, we see the presence of God represented by fire. I just want to touch on a couple things, and I'm getting somewhere with it, I promise you. But we see it throughout the Old Testament, the, the presence of God pictured in fire. Remember how God appeared to Moses in a burning bush? You remember how God led the people uh, in the wilderness by a pillar of fire? Do you remember that when he came down to give them the law, there was fire involved in that? When uh, he came to dwell in the temple, there was fire involved in that. And for the people, they weren't allowed to touch it. They weren't allowed to uh, come near it, of course. It was a picture of the presence of God. And so in this room, they see this, this visible image of the Spirit of God, the presence of God, coming down as a small uh, tongue of fire, and it was above all of the believers in the room. That would have freaked them out a little bit, don't you think? My hair's on, no, okay, <laughs> hair's not on fire. They, they might have thought that, I don't know. I mean, but it would have been a very disconcerting, interesting thing that was taking place here. But to me, the, the picture that we see in this is that to them, historically, fire in the presence of God was a fearful thing. You're to stay away from it, for, but for now, we see the Spirit in the presence of God coming above all of them, picturing what was taking place, that rather than death from the presence of God, They were going to be made alive by the very presence and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God that was coming to them on that day. And by the way, that continues to this day when a person person turns to Jesus Christ and accepts him as their Lord and Savior, we then receive the Holy Spirit within our lives. Hey, don't be scared of the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It's okay. I mean, that's a wonderful gift from God. Uh, even Peter said it later on in, in, the, in the chapter that we're in. He said to them, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift. Notice how he says it's a gift to us of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit for the believer is an amazing, incredible gift of God. It is not something that we should be scared of because God uses his spirit to speak to us, to reveal to us his word, to show us direction, to uh, comfort us, to give us strength, to give us hope, to give us joy, to give us what we need to live for God in this broken and fallen world. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 24, it tells us, uh, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given to us. The Holy Spirit is evidence that you are a follower that you are a true believer in Jesus Christ. And so we see that happening to these believers there uh, in the book of Acts. And imagine this incredible gift of the Spirit was first experienced in that moment in Acts chapter 2, that verses 1 through 4. So the Spirit comes, there's a sound of the wind, everyone's maybe a little nervous, but then we see it manifested in a very unique way in the following verses. I'll just paraphrase for you so we don't cover the whole first part of the chapter. But what happens is that they then went out and they began to speak in tongues. Ooh, we get worried and nervous about that. Do you know what the Bible word, the actual uh, word for tongues is? Languages. And then it's evidence in what happens next where they went out and they began to preach and to teach. And the Bible tells us that every person that was there who heard them speak, heard them in their own language. Fifteen different Uh, nationalities are mentioned in that passage in the next few verses and it tells us that they then heard it in their own 
language. They said in verse number 11, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. This was an amazing, very unique, very specific, for a time, signed gift that was given uh, uh, to those people that were gathered there as they understood and saw that this was something supernatural. This was something of God. Today, I mean, it's hard to understand what it would be like, but it'd be like me today standing up here and preaching uh, in what I'm assuming is English <laughs> and, uh, and me preaching and all of you hearing me in your native tongues. Now, we have people from all different uh, backgrounds. So some of you would be hearing me in your, uh, hearing me in French, maybe. Some of you would be hearing me in Mandarin. Wow, he has very good uh, enunciation, and his Mandarin is so good. And uh, in Cantonese, or Tagalog, or Cebuano, or Farsi, or Shona, or Portuguese, or Korean, or Gu. That's a learn, uh, one I learned. I texted some of you to find out what your languages were. Or even American. For some of you who are American, you would hear me, and there would be a lot of y'alls in a slower. I'm just joking. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and you would hear me. I mean, imagine how amazing that would be. And then you looking to one another and being like, I hurt. Did you hear what just happened to Pastor Paul? And that's what was taking place. And God was doing something incredible uh, through this uh, whole process that was taking place. And so the people were amazed and, and they heard it in their languages and God was showing up. And this is what I want you to, I don't want you to miss out on this. God was showing up and he was showing to those people gathered there that what God was about to do was not just for the Jews. It was for everybody. I think you have it here in your notes, but God's word is not exclusive to a nationality or a specific language. It is for all people. And that's what God is trying to show to them. He's saying the good news is for every nation, culture, and people group. And as you can imagine, as what we see in the New Testament a lot, whenever good things happen, there's always some haters. And so there were some guys who came in the crowd and they were listening and they decided to throw some shade on Peter or those. And so what they decided to do is, hey, let's tell everyone he's drunk. That's what they did. He's drunk, is what they said. These men are full of wine, is what they said. That's why that these nationalities were able to hear it in their own language, was because these guys were drunk. And so they started throwing shade on Peter and the others. And then Peter responds, he's like, bro, it's 9 a.m. in the morning. That's what he said. You can look it up. It's 9 a.m. We are not drunk, but God is doing something incredible here. And God is doing something unique. And then Peter just lets it go. And he preaches an incredibly powerful message all throughout Acts chapter number two. And what he does is that he proclaims who Jesus is. And then what happens is so unique. At the very end of his message, it tells us that all all the people that were gathered there, they said this. They said, what should we do at the end of his message? That's every preacher's dream, by the way, <laughs> like, to be able to preach a message and have everybody say, what do we do? <laughs> you know, that's what he said. What do we do? Look at, look at verse number uh, 37 and, and 38. It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. Well, what pricked their heart? The revelation of who Jesus Christ is. He is God in the flesh. He came and he died uh, for the sins of mankind. So they were pricked in their heart and they sent unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, repent, repent. Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gospel is that we should repent of our sins. We should turn from our belief that we could do anything on our own to get into heaven, uh, that we are God in ourselves. Uh, turn from our sin and turn to God, accept his gift of salvation, be baptized as evidence of what took place in our heart, not uh, to confirm our salvation, but to reveal the salvation that took place within. And as Peter gave the invitation, I want you to know something incredible happened. Look down at verse number 41. 
It says, and they that gladly received his word. So that's clear for us. Those that received the word, that accepted the word, they that received were baptized. And look at this. This is unbelievable. And the same day there were added unto them about three, how many? Thousand. Three thousand souls in one day. That is a great church startup team. <laughs> I praise the Lord for the 12 that we started with. Imagine starting a church with 3,000 people. In one day, 3,000 people turned to Christ. And this is why we call this the empowerment of the early church. The church existed, but man, this is when it took off there in Jerusalem. And we see 3,000 people saved and added unto. There was something existence added unto them in a weekend. So imagine if our church grew by 3,000 this weekend. I want you, oh yeah, we say amen to that. <laughs> I don't know that I am equipped spiritually to handle that, but imagine if a church grew by 3,000 people in one weekend. I think it might be a little bit chaotic, don't you think? Organizationally, it might be a little bit difficult. There, It might be a little bit raw, don't you think, the next Sunday? You know, who's leading singing? <laughs> uh, where are we going to meet? What are we going to do? All, all of these all of these things, and, and they might have even seemed a little bit disorganized. And while that may be true, what we see in the rest of Acts chapter number two is not about how then the apostles began to organize the people and divide them up into small groups and how they booked rentals at the temple so they could have a meeting and, and all, all of these organizational things. And nor is there uh, organizational strategies for how do you scale a church from 120 to uh, 3,120 in a weekend. There's nothing like that at all. What we see then from this point on Acts chapter 2 verse 42 to 47 what we see is a simple focus that the early church had so I mean things are erupting all around people are getting saved they're baptizing the guy the apostles arms are killing them from baptizing so many people all of this stuff is happening but yet we still see a simple focus and I believe this focus is what united them for even more growth that was to come we know just in, a, in another couple chapters that their number boosted to 5,000 very quickly and I believe that the focus that they had is also what sustained them th uh, for the great persecution that was about to come that was not that far away. So what was it? What was the focus that we see in the next couple of verses? That's what I want to talk about the rest of the time today. So, and really what I'm trying to do is give us a focus as a church, as a growing church that has a desire for sustainable, healthy, forward motion for the Lord. I want to talk about what we can focus on in the year of 2020. So I want you to look at verse number 42 with me in Acts chapter 2. It says, and they, say these next two words with me, continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly, here's what they continued in, in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. When those believers turned to faith in Jesus Christ and they were empowered by the Spirit of God, they then continued steadfastly. What that means is that they were devoted. They were devoted to things and devoted specifically to some aspects of the Christian life that they made as a priority for them. And it was this priority that they had that sustained them through all the ups and downs that we see throughout the entire rest of the book of Acts. And that's what I want to share with you today. The first thing that we see here is that they were encouraged or they were devoted to, to continue in the word. So point number one today, they continued in the word, or as we saw there in the verse, the apostles' doctrine. So what does this mean? What does it mean for a church that goes from zero to uh, 120 to 
over over 3,000 in a weekend, what does it mean that they continued steadfastly in the word? Well, we have to remember their mindset. They would have known the, uh, what we call Old Testament law and Old Testament way of approaching things. And so what we can understand about these people is that while they knew that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and they knew that Jesus was the one who died on the cross for their sins, they would have taken an Old Testament mentality into their worship and focus of Jesus Christ. And so what we can learn from that then is that they would have taken those principles of meditating, hiding the word in their heart, and they would have applied it then into their mentality of devotion going forward. What I really believe is that these new believers devoured any, any teaching that they could get concerning Jesus Christ, any teaching that they could get, any expounding that they could get on the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus Christ, and they would just simply devour it, and, and I mean, they would, they would uh, remember what we need to remember, that their salvation is a, is a gift, and they would have just, I believe, just devoured the Word of God. It would have been a, such a huge priority to them. I mean, can you imagine what it would have been like to be at that next preaching service after the 3,000 were baptized? I mean, we, you ever, you, you, you've been to places, and, and a lot of times at church you say, man, there was a good vibe at church today, right? Right? There was a good vibe, and man, there was just like energy in the room. Can you imagine that first service after 3,000 people got saved, received the Holy Spirit, were baptized, and added to the church? I mean, like the vibe in the room would have been incredible, or in the field, or wherever it was that they met on the hillside. It would have been incredible. And, and the reason that it was incredible is because collectively as a group, those 3,000 people were leaning in to the word of God. They were leaning in into what was being taught. They were, they were uh, uh, hiding it. They were putting it in their hearts. And, and, uh, and, and, and for us going forward this year, that's really what we need to see in our lives, to have a, a renewal of the hunger of the word of God, a hunger for the things that, that God uh, wants us to know. I really believe that your devotion to the Lord is seen in your desire for his word. Your devotion to the Lord is seen in your desire for his word. And for us as a church of 2020, if it's going to be a year of growth, there needs to be a renewal of faithful devotion to his word. There is no way to escape this truth. Growing Christians are learning Christians. There's no way to escape it. That is the truth. It, it applies to your business. It applies to your field of study. In every way, if you're going to be growing, you need to be learning. You need to be adding things into your life. And as Christians, we need to be learning. They always say readers are leaders. And guess what? We have a great book that we can learn from and lead from. And, and as Christians, we need to commit time to learning and to knowing the word of God. We put so much time into learning new skills, don't we? We put so much time into bettering ourselves or to uh, maybe getting a next level of certification or, uh, or, or going back to school and learning more things so we can improve and grow our career or in life or fitness, uh, whatever it may be. But we need to put time into spiritual growth. And so we're going to hit some real basics today. How's your Bible reading going in 2020? How's your personal devotional life going in 2020? I would encourage you to get a reading schedule. Get a reading schedule. Uh, go get the Version app. There are, are tons of good Bible reading schedules on there. Look online. If you want to know which one I use, uh, I use one that you can't, I don't think you can really find online. Uh, it's a great program and I'd be happy to give it to you. And it's a read through the Bible in a year program. And I use that along with other devotionals. But you need to get in the word and make that a priority. Make that a commitment. That I'm going to read the word of God. It's not about the length. I'm not, you know, I'm not asking you to read for an hour a day. But it's just doing something, connecting with God every single day, making it a part of your daily life. That's what it means to 
uh, to continue on in the word. As well, I would encourage you in 2020, make church attendance a priority. You say, well, you're the pastor. That's what you always say. Yeah, I always say it because it needs to be said. Somebody's got to say it. If I never talked about coming to church, nobody come to church. <laughs> you need to come to church. It's important. And, and it's not just, l- listen, we, we need to be in church faithfully. You know, I grew up, and you guys know this, I grew up that when literally when the doors were open, pretty much my dad was the one opening the doors, you know, and we were going in, and we were there for every service, and I would encourage you, be here for the services. Sunday mornings, when we have our Wednesday night Bible studies, be here for it. We have it purposely later in the evening, so you have time uh, to get some food and get here from work, but come and be a part of it, because it's an opportunity for you to give the Word of God uh, a priority. See, if we were to read Acts chapter 2 for what it is, you would understand that you cannot be a true disciple of Jesus Christ and be disconnected from the word of God being taught and being preached. You know, sometimes people say, well, I like to, you know, I just learn it on my own and I just sort of figure it out on its own. And and they say, I love Jesus. But here's the thing, you cannot love Jesus and hate his bride. That might be kind of a, some people are like, what are you talking about? The church is the bride of Christ. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride, meaning avoid it. <laughs> you, you can't say that. And so we need to integrate uh, uh, our lives into the church and, and being a part of, of the teaching times and the opportunity times that we have to learn the word of God and make it a priority for you. That's going to help you grow. I promise you. I promise you it'll help you grow if you get involved. I'll, I'll move on from there, okay? Um, another thing as far as making the word, continuing on in the word is just integrating uh, what you're learning from life. So the things that you're learning through your devotions, the things that you're learning uh, from church and actually applying it in your life the rest of the week, making it a a daily thing. Uh, You can also get involved in other, reading Christian themes books. I mean, if you want some suggestions, come and see me. I'll give you some books or give you some ideas of what to read on different spiritual practices and ways you can grow. Listen to podcasts. Listen to the City Baptist podcast and then find some other podcasts that are out there and, uh, and, and follow those and, and uh, make a commitment to growing in the word of God. You see what I'm trying to say here? They made a commitment to it. It says they continued steadfastly. Now you look at the rest of the book of Acts, what that meant for them was meeting every single day. We could revive that. That'd be, what should we, is that right? Our house, every day? Okay. She says, sure. <laughs> Let's, if we're going to be really early churchy, right? That's what we would do, and that's what they did. Every single day they would meet together. The apostles would go house to house. Every single day they'd meet corporately together, but every single day they're doing something. Now for us, we need to make a commitment to the word of God, to the word of God. We were not created to go about our walk with God alone even if we have a really great YouTube teacher that we like to listen to. We weren't met or created to do that. God created us to be together in a group. He created the local church for a purpose and for a reason. He died and gave himself for the church. And, and I think we have pretty something, something pretty wonderful here. And I, I think we should devote ourselves and recommit ourselves to that this year. And so first of all, he said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, but then they also continued steadfastly in fellowship, which brings us to our second point. We need to continue in community. Continue in community. Just as they gave themselves to the word, they gave themselves to building community with one another. The word that we have translated their fellowship is the Greek word koinonia. How many of you ever heard that word before? Man, it's a great word, has a lot of value to it, and it means uh, partnership or participation. If you were to really dig down into multi-level definitions, you'd see most of them relate to the idea of participation and doing life together, being together. And so that's why we use the word community. I, I think it's important, church, that we recognize the gift that we have in each other. 
Recognize the gift that we have in each other as a local church. I don't know what it is about our humanity, but the first response to others is always rivalry. You ever notice that? Comparison. Rather than, man, you are a gift to my life. I hope I'm a gift to your life, (laughs) but you are a gift to me. And seeing that in one another and recognizing that potential in those relationships. You know, our world all they want to talk about is diversity and harmony and, 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 and working all, you know, and bringing everybody together. But the local church is where it actually happens. This is where it actually happens. And it's such a unique relationship that we have. And it is so key to the future of our church that we'd be willing to put ourselves out there and commit to making our church community a matter of focus in our lives. Now, the early church, they modeled it in a very, very unique way. I want you to look down at verse 44 and verse number 45. So this is along the subject of community and fellowship. This is how they modeled it. And all that believed were together. That's key. They were together. They spent time together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. Now, this is not some communist approach to life, okay? Uh, this is not uh, the idea of, well, let's just put everything into a big pot. Um, but here's what I want you to know. This group of people were so radically changed by the gospel that they made caring for others their highest priority in life, even above their own possessions. That's what we see. They made the needs of others a higher priority than their own needs, and they did it willingly, We see in other passages where this took place, and it was not a forced thing. The apostles never one time got up and said, all right, I think it's a good idea. Some of you guys sell that extra land you got and bring it here to the church so we can take care of things around here. That never happened. People did it willingly. They brought it uh, from their own generosity and their own care. They gave generously of their own wealth to care for one another and the needs of the church family, and it was voluntary. It was uh, um, motivated completely by love. It was based off of what we see in Romans 12.10 that tells us to be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Now, I'm not saying that City Baptist Church, that after this, there needs to be a, you know, a big for sale sign out in front of your house. That's not what I'm saying. Or you need to you know, scrounge through your accounts and start just emptying things out. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm asking you today is to make community of such a matter of importance that you would be willing to do whatever God asks you to do to meet the needs of somebody else within the church body or to meet the needs of the church, fam- uh, church as a whole. Would you even be willing? That's a great question to ask ourselves. Would I be willing if God in his great love and, and mercy <laughs> towards me, if God asked me to do something like this, would I be willing to do it? What if God asked you to do something for somebody in the church that you feel the least connected to? Because let's be real, we're humans. We don't always connect on, you know, certain levels with everybody. But if God asked you to do something for someone that you just don't even understand them, I'm not saying like a language barrier, but you just like, I don't get them. I know you guys feel that way about me all the time. I know that. I don't get him. I don't understand what's happening up there in his head. Uh, But what if God asked you to do that? A person that you don't really relate to. What if God leads you to open your home for fellowship or for a community building event within our church family? See, the strength, I believe, of the early church that sustained them through the persecution that was just right around the corner was their commitment to the word of God and that commitment flowed out to their commitment to one to another and their care for, genuine, genuine, not like, hey man, I love you, bro, see you later. Genuine, genuine care that is expressed in action one towards another. 
You know, in, in church, I mean, it's church, right? Like nobody wants to fight in church. I get it. You shouldn't fight anywhere else either, you know. Uh, but you know what I mean. Like, you know, we don't come here like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell that guy off. Like, we come here and we put on our happy, smiley, churchy face. And, wow, I feel like everybody cares and, and that's great. But you know what? Sometimes people come to our church, and maybe some of you have experienced this, and you come for weeks and weeks, and you feel, genuinely feel maybe that someone, that people don't care for you. Because it is just surface level, right? Like, oh, man, I'm praying for you. By the way, don't ever tell someone you're praying for them if you haven't prayed for them. None of this, you know, dear God, bless Bob. Hey, how are you doing? I prayed for you this week, right? As you're walking towards them uh, saying, oh, I'm praying right now. I mean, genuinely care for one another and building that community together is so, so important uh, for sustainable community in the future. But the other thing that we see here, uh, thirdly, uh, in the passage was that they continued in communion continue in communion. Look at verse number 42. It says, they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now, the term here, breaking of bread, is interesting because it is used um, in two different ways. Later on in the chapter, it's used uh, in the idea of of, uh, actually like having a meal together, but throughout the book of Acts, it is interchangeable, meaning having a meal together, meal together, but also practicing the Lord's table or communion. They they are used in, in both ways. What I want you to understand is that the term breaking of bread is not inclusive of, of those events, but it's not exclusive of them either. In other ways, uh, and, and what I'm trying to under, get you to understand is that what they're talking about here is that it could mean time together. More than likely, it also meant the Lord's table and that time of connection with God. And so what I want us to understand today, though, is that uh, if we're a church that's committed to uh, one another, we're also going to be committed to spiritual, spiritually focused time together, meaning it's not, I'm not just talking about taking the Lord's table together, and that's important, and we'll do that throughout the year. What I'm talking about is having spiritual community with one another, not just hanging out and having a good time. Like, I love hanging out. Some of my best friends are in this room. I love hanging out with you guys as a church. I love going to play basketball and doing all sorts of stuff. We have a great time together. Um, but there needs to be a sense that when we gather together or that there are times that we gather together, where it's about hearing from God, encouraging one another, and building each other up in the truth. Does that make sense? We're not a social club. There's a social element to what we do, but there's to be a primary spiritual aspect. That's what I mean by communion. If you think about Hebrews chapter 10, we quote verse 25 all the time, but verse 24 begins by saying, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The idea of provoking, encouraging one another to love and to good works. Uh, uh, Edifying and building one another up. I really do believe this. There is no better way to get to know Jesus and to grow in your walk with the Lord than within a community of believers. And there's no better way than, than with a group of believers. Um, I heard this great illustration I want to share it with you. Um, Many of you know about C.S. Lewis. I'm sure you've heard about him. Kind of famous. He did a few things. Um, But one of the unique things about C.S. Lewis was that he had a very unique group of friends. And a couple of the friends that he hung out with was a guy uh, by the name of J.R.R. Tolkien. Most, oh, wow, yeah, Mike, (laughs) you know that, okay. What else, uh, how about, uh, do you guys know of, uh, you probably don't, uh, Charles Williams. 
Okay, Tolkien. Ooh, Williams. Okay, well, Williams was an author as well. And uh, there was someone else involved in their little group of friends. But C.S. Lewis, in one of his books, he talked about the friendship that he had with Tolkien and the friendship that he had with Charles Williams. And he spoke specifically about the fact of when Charles Williams, this good friend of theirs, they would meet regularly together, he passed away suddenly right after the end of World War II. And it was sort of a, uh, sorry, during World War II, it was an unexpected death. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, now that Charles is dead, I shall never again see Tolkien's reaction to a specific Charles joke. He said this, and far from having more of, more of Tolkien to myself, now that Charles is gone, he says, in actuality, I have less of Tolkien because the friendship now, I don't see aspects of Tolkien's, uh, um, Tolkien's life. I'll make it sound a little bit simpler here. <laughs> what he's saying? What he's saying is that often it takes a community to understand an individual. It takes a community to understand an individual because the way that we respond with different people reveals the full spectrum of who we are. Like, have you ever been with somebody that you, you thought you knew really well and then you're in like a different situation with them and they acted totally outside of how you thought they would act? Uh, husbands and wives experienced this in those first years of marriage <laughs> a lot like and and what you typically say to that person is I didn't know that about you <laughs> you know like you see, you go to some situation and they just act crazy and you're like okay or, or you get them with their family and like everything changes and you're like I didn't know that aspect about you you had spent a lot of time with that person but you never experienced that aspect of their personality do you understand what I'm trying to say Okay, so, so here's, here's what I'm trying to get across to you, because some of you, your eyes look kind of cloudy right now. I want to explain what's happening. What changed in that relationship? Well, what changed was the environment that we were in, uh, the group of people. Something changed, and it brought out a new personality of them that you may have never have known about them unless you were in that situation. I think we all have experiences. You understand what I'm trying to say, right? Okay, so how much more of that is true of Jesus Christ? Here's what I want you to understand. We say that we want to know Jesus Christ better, don't we? Well, I want to know God. I want to have a walk with God. But the truth is, you'll never be able to fully experience Christ completely alone. You can know a lot about God on your own. But if you want to fully get the full experience of a walk with God and understand who he is, it happens in a body of believers that have strong relationships of love and accountability. And the more we see Jesus for who he is outside of our own lives and our own perspective, we see more of him. See, there are aspects of God that you can only begin to understand within a community of believers who are trying to uh, serve and trying to follow God. This is how we know him better. Let me explain it this way. Because of some of you here in this room, I understand the grace of God in a better way. Because of what some of you have shared with me, your brokenness, your struggles, past addictions, past hurts, I understand the power and the love and the grace of God in a better way than I could ever understand it on my own because of you. Does that make sense? Because of what you shared with me, because of how you showed me, I can look at you and say, whoa, God's grace is so much bigger than I thought it was. I knew his grace was big enough for me and for my issues. I had no idea how great God's grace is in your life as you deal with a terminal illness, as you deal with past addictions, as you deal with all of these struggles. Do you understand what I'm trying to get across? Man, this is, this is, to me, this is such a powerful thought when it comes to knowing God. 
Those things are only possible. Knowing God in that way is only possible as we live in communion with God and communion with each other. Connecting on a deeper level than just, you know, basic pleasantries and a handshake or a high five. It's being together with the purpose of encouragement in the Lord. And it can be done when we meet outside of church and get together and hang out. I think that's definitely important. But it also happens a lot within the church as well. In our midweek times of discussion after our teaching, uh, uh, when we have worship nights, man, that's a great time to really connect with one another and encourage one another. When we, uh, when we have special services, when we have retreats. Uh, listen, uh, when we have our men's retreat and our ladies' retreats and our marriage retreats, those are opportunities not for you just to get out of town and have fun and injure yourself trying to play a sport and that's a men's retreat. But the purpose of it is that you can gather with the guys from our church in a different environment and share with one another what God is doing and encourage and build each other up and understand God in a greater way. That's what it's about. That's why it's so important. That's why we stress it. That's why we even have it. If it was just to like go and have a good time, I'd rather save the money and let's all go to a Canucks game. <laughs> you know, I'd do something like that. But we have these special moments so that we can connect and communion with each other. When we meet up for coffee and there's camp, all of these things that we do are important. They build a deeper spiritual connection with each other. And as a result, I promise you, you will grow in your knowledge of God. I've learned so much at men's retreat, <laughs> just spending time with the guys in our church talking about the Lord and talking about what God is doing. Man, I've learned so much about you and about God and his work. And so we must continue in communion. But the final thing we see in this passage is that they continued in prayer, continued in prayer. Verse 42, they continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and in prayers and in prayers you have to think Jesus left this group in a place of total dependence didn't he <laughs> total dependence I mean that's where he left them they I mean they they really didn't know he knew they knew the spirit would come all he did was say hey just pray and hang out and wait and see what happens and that's what I believe they did they prayed they dedicated themselves to prayer and the entire book of Acts is filled with story after story of prayer and God doing something incredible through his people. And, and, and today for us, while we have a lot of great technology, we have all of these advancements and all of these extra thoughts, at our core, we are people in need and we are people in total dependence upon God. And prayer is that connection to God. But we struggle so much with it, don't we? We struggle so much with it. Somebody once said that prayerlessness is a sin, uh, is a sign, sorry. Prayerlessness is, uh, prayerlessness is a sign that you have lost your sense of absolute dependence upon the Spirit of God. You know, church, if we're going to see something happen in our community or in our lives, it's going to happen as a result of prayer. The longer I'm in ministry, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I'm convinced of the power and the effectiveness and the need for prayer. So I want to ask you this question today. Is there anything else in your life that you can say this? I pray more than I fill in the blank. Is there anything in anything in your life that you can identify and you say, I pray more than I whatever it is. I pray more than I read. I pray more than I watch TV. I pray more than I am on my phone. I pray more, let's break it down. I pray more than I'm on Instagram. <laughs> I pray more than I'm on whatever. Does that make sense? Is there anything in your life that you say, I pray more than I do this thing? So often prayer is literally the least and the last thing that we do, but yet it carries the most power in our lives. Prayer moves the hand of God, but yet we don't pray. And this group of people were dedicated, they were committed to 
praying. This young church, this church that had no organization, no building, they didn't have anything, but yet they had four things that they focused their attention on. Being in the word, being a caring community, being a spiritual encouragement, and prayer. So what was the result of this? This is what I want you to see, and I'm almost done. What was the result? Well, the result was is that the church was unified, it was magnified, and it was multiplied. Look at verse 46 through 47. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They went to the temple daily and breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Man, they had a great attitude about it. They praised God, verse 47, and having favor with all the people. And look at this, and I want you to say this phrase with me. And the Lord added to the church. Oh, let's try it again. You're not with me. Say it again, ready? And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. They encouraged, they cared for one another, and God is the one who built the church. So what can we learn from this? This is what we can learn. When we pursue God personally, when we as a church make our focus on the spiritual aspects of the Christian life, not focusing on numbers or money or, or any of these external things, but focusing on the spiritual aspect, it is what then allows God and opens the door, I believe, for God then to step in and do the work that he promised us he would do in Matthew 16, 18, where he said, upon this rock, speaking of himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, when we make the pursuit of the word of God and prayer and communion with one another and communion with God and the unity of our friendships as our utmost priority, what we do is we remove from us the pressure of trying to accomplish some God thing here on this earth in our own flesh. Do you understand? We, uh, uh, we remove that pressure from us. Because so often we put that pressure that I have to do this thing and I got to be like this and then God's going to bless. And we've talked about all those wrong ways of thinking uh, in the Christian life, but we've got to just keep the focus on the things that we know to do, the things that God has called us to focus in and then let God be the one responsible for building the church and for seeing people come to him. There's no good thing that you could do that could lead a person to Christ. It's the Holy Spirit of God. You can point the direction, you can show them what the word of God says, but you yourself, Julius, are not going to somehow manipulate somebody into getting saved. That's not going to happen. God's going to have to do the work. And, and, and so you need to remove that pressure off from us. That does not make us lazy or irresponsible with what God has blessed us, but it helps us to keep perspective that God is the one ultimately who's in control of all things. We can control what we can control. God can control everything else. And we can trust him as we walk in obedience and trust him to build his church. So the question is, is how is this possible then for us? How is it possible for us to have the right focus in 2020? Well, it's just as possible now as it was 2,000 years ago, and it's because we have the same God, and we have the same Holy Spirit. I don't want you to miss out on that today. We have the same God, and we have his Holy Spirit and the life-changing power of the gospel. This is not something that we can wish to do. This is not something we can uh, try to make a resolution to do because it will not be sustainable without the power of God. Here's what I want you to get. God is the one who's going to give you the strength to have the right focus in 2020. It's through our love for him and a thankfulness for what God has done for our life and the power of his spirit that we can have a sustainable, lasting focus and lasting devotion to the things of God. It's how we can have a lasting desire for his word, a limitless love for one another, and a passionate prayer life in the local church. You know, for us, as we head into this new year, there's a lot of possibilities. <laughs> I have no idea what's going to happen, honestly. I'll try to plan my best, but I really don't know what God's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do in my life, what he's going to do in your life, what he's going to do within our church. But I do know this thing. I know this one thing. 
if we return to these four principles that that church in Jerusalem made such a high priority of, if we return to these aspects that they continued steadfastly in daily, it was a habit of their life. If we will return to them, we can be sustained as a church family. You individually will be sustained in the power of God as you face those ups and as you face those downs this year because you're going to have both of those. But it's going to come from you not trying to do it on your own and willpower it into being. It comes by trusting in God himself, getting into the word, making it a priority. I promise you, if you've never had a faithful devotional life, if you would do that this year, God will change your life. He really will. And if you'd commit to the community of the church and to encouraging one another, not just having surface relationships and still having walls, even though you come inside these walls, (laughs) but be willing to be open with one another and to share what God is doing and encourage one another. God will do something incredible in your life. And if you would commit to prayer and make that a core value for your life, God can make a real difference for you. What I want you to see is that these principles is what sustained the church and it is what empowered the church to literally change the face of the world from this one spot. 120 people and they got on fire for God, the Holy Spirit came, the same Holy Spirit that we have, and the last 2,000 years, it's never been the same. No matter how many people have tried to snuff it out, tried to eliminate Christianity from the face of this earth, tried to eliminate Christians, it's still here today, and I believe it's connected to these principles here. There have always been people throughout the history of of, of Christianity who have held to these four principles and it sustained them. And for us as a church, if we're going to be sustainable through 2020, if we're going to be prepared for God to use us, if we're going to be the foundation that we want to be so God can heap his blessings on us and that he can build his church as he desires, it's a return to these core principles of the word, each other, and of prayer. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Van City Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will for your life.